Hi, my name's Tony and welcome to Bigger Than Hollywood. Tony and welcome to episode 25 of Bigger Than Hollywood, a podcast about the business of being and running an independent video games developer and kind of all of the things that I'm learning as I go along. Amp Workshop, the company that this podcast is about, is 52 weeks old this week. And do you know what that means? Do you know how many weeks old 52 weeks is? That means it's our first birthday, woo! I would let off some party poppers and other celebrations and stuff like that, but literally my entire family is asleep in the very next room, so I'm not going to do that. And I may even talk quite quietly for a lot of this podcast, because, yes, I don't really want to wake up the baby. Uh, yeah, having a baby, that was something that I did this year. Well, I didn't. Wife did, obviously. Um, I don't know where I'm going with this. Yeah, so uh, Ant, Workshop, <laughs> Ant Workshop is a year old. I haven't been drinking to celebrate our birthday. Not not yet, anyway. Um, Ant Workshop is a year old, uh, so I thought I would kind of have a catch-up of what's been going on since the last podcast and then have a sort of blather about things that have happened this year, sort of what has happened without workshop um things that i kind of learned that i wish i had done differently from the start and then there are some listener questions some actual listener que well i don't know whether the people that asked them are listeners but i asked on twitter for questions and i got three questions and i'm going to assume that those people are listen so yes uh, so yeah, let's kick off with what has happened since the last podcast. If you remember, the exciting cliffhanger just before Christmas was that we were on Greenlight uh, Binaries, the game that uh, I'm making was on Greenlight, and it was doing pretty well. It was in the top, I think it was in the top twenty-five at the time, um, but it had been three weeks or maybe four weeks and there there was no sign of things getting greenlit nothing had been greenlit and i was starting to panic a little bit because the amount of traffic that steam uh, shows to games that run greenlight drops off after two weeks so we must have been on for three weeks thinking about it uh it drops off after two weeks uh, you get like two weeks of, or we got two weeks of being shown to people and put really right in front of people's faces. And then after that, it really dropped down to a trickle. And because we weren't getting lots of traffic every day, we weren't getting lots of new votes every day. And we're starting to be overtaken by other stuff that had been uh, on Greenlight for less time, but that had more of a buzz about it and was doing better at getting yes votes, basically. Uh, but... Da, da, da. Yeah, so that was the um, that was the cliffhanger. Uh, but literally, a, a, like a few days after that podcast, uh, possibly even a week after that podcast, we got greenlit. Yay! So that was kind of a couple of weeks before Christmas. Lovely little early Christmas present from Valve there. Uh, binaries got greenlit. 
which was great. Um, in the end, we finished in position 26, um, which obviously was a, quite a drop from like our highest position, I think had been 16. Um, so yeah, quite a drop, but obviously still well within the realms of whatever boundary or cutoff it is that they use for green lighting stuff. Um, we finished with 3,272 votes. Yes, votes. Um, if you go on Twitter, uh, my Twitter account at Freakyzoid and look back for kind of mid-December, I did post the screenshots of the stats at the time so you can see the exact uh, breakdown graphs of how many votes we were getting every day and all of like our percentages and all of that kind of nonsense i really wouldn't read too much into them um as i mentioned in the last podcast uh and if you yeah i'm not gonna just i'm not gonna i could go through and repeat everything that i said in the last podcast about why you should not really pay that much attention to them and how uh dependent green light is on what other stuff is being put on there at the time but i'm not going to go back and listen to the last episode if you haven't already and if you're interested in all of that kind of stuff uh but yeah so it's quite exciting then the excitement kind of kind of wanes a little bit because after you go through that um and you click on a couple of things to go through you then get uh, a lot of forms to fill in and slightly annoyingly Valve doesn't tell you what's going to be on those forms. So having got greenlit, um, you get to that point and then it says, right, you're going to need uh, to sort out your American tax and bank accounts and all of that kind of stuff before we will even let you um, test your game on Steam. So in order to like make a, make a, a game on Steam that you can see running in the client or whatever uh, like even to get to that point of just testing that you need to have gone through all this sort of stuff of putting in your bank accounts and all of that kind of thing and because a lot of this stuff is automated on valve everything uh, everything needs to all match up it's not like you can just go okay well i'm using this company bank account for now and but i want to put it out on under this company's name and all of this kind of stuff i mean i'm sure there's probably very very good reasons for that um it makes all the accounting re, like make sure the accounting's all totally above board but yeah it does mean that basically if you go to greenlight um and you don't have things like your uh, american tax stuff sorted out and your you don't have a business bank account that is in the same name as the business that you are wanting to like exactly the same name as the business that you're wanting to uh release like the business name you're wanting to release under and stuff like that then you will get held up at that point so in terms of american tax you need uh what is it a tin T-I-N or an E-I-N, which is uh, employer identification number or employee identification number. I can't quite remember. TIN, I think, is taxpayer identification number, which is an American, strictly an American thing. And E-I-N, an I-N, that is something that foreign companies can have that basically identifies them in the American tax system. So being in the UK, there's... Uh, 
tax treaty between America and the UK that means that I don't pay any tax in America because the UK is going to take all of my tax off of me. I mean, not all of my tax, but the amount of tax that I'm meant to pay. Um, so, yeah, so you basically fill in this thing called the W8 uh, Ben form. Um, but, so, yeah, so I was looking at that and thinking, oh, no, I need an I'm, um The only way of getting one of them seems to be that you have to phone up um, a phone number in New Jersey or something. Um and so I, I tried phoning them up, but I, I just, it basically said, it was kind of weird, actually. It didn't even put me on hold. It literally, the phone number just said, yeah, we're really busy right now. Call back later. Bye-bye. Um, if, you're, if you're an American, you can email them or do it by post, I think. But yeah, as, like as a foreign national, I mean, I'm sure you can do it by post, but God only knows how long that would take. Um, as a foreign national, like it basically recommends that you phone them up because you can't do it electronically. But what I did find out from a friend, um, and this is a pretty good top tip, if you're a sole director of the limited company that you're trying to release under, like if that company just has one director and that is you, you actually don't need an iron because you can be identified using your uh, UK uh, national insurance number. So actually, I uh, after following up to try and get an iron and then thinking, oh no, the, maybe the place is closed coming up to Christmas. I'm going to need to sort all this out after Christmas. It says it can take up to four weeks. And then the Valve stuff says that the database that they update, uh, that they run off of and verify against, that can take four weeks. And I was like, oh my God, it, this... This could take a massive amount of time before I can even like get this paperwork done, which I need in order to even just test the game on Steam. Like not to release it. I don't mind if all this stuff doesn't happen until I release it, but it's like just to be able to test it, it will be quite yeah, really, really fine at that point. But yeah, so it turns out actually it, you can, if you're a sole director, and I assume also if you're... Uh, a sole trader or if like you're releasing the game on like if the basically if there is no company you're releasing it under your own name i assume that that is exactly the same situation as well that you can use your national insurance number so top tip there but then yeah i basically i've also had to go and actually get a bank account set up i think i've talked about this in a previous podcast um ant workshop is currently a sole trader like if that's me trading as Ant Workshop. Uh, I also, for pretty much the whole of the last year, I've uh, been kind of squatting Ant Workshop Limited. I registered it as a company, but it's a non-trading company. They like no, they don't do any business. Uh, but I tra I registered it basically to protect it so that no one else can could kind of take it from underneath me. Um, so having that there was actually quite useful. But yeah, I've never had a bank account for Ant Workshop Limited, so I've had to go and get a business bank account set up. Although that seems like that's about to come through. I got a text today from my bank saying, all the paperwork's been approved. You're going to get your bank details really soon, but the account is basically there. So that's cool. Um, which is a weird thing, really, for them to say. The, the account's there and set up and active, but 
I mean, you can't do anything with it until we send you the detail, like your sort code and ways of accessing this bank. So, yeah, not so great. Um, and what else? Oh, yeah, so so basically that's the stuff for Steam. Then there's also um, I'm wanting to get binaries rated by the ESRB, the Entertainment Software Ratings Board. And they're another weird old thing where basically the all they deal with is uh, video games so kind of slightly more high-tech stuff but to actually get registered to have a login to be able to access their website and be able to say i want you to rate this game uh, you need to send them an actual letter like a slice of dead tree through the postal system uh, to some address in new york uh, for them to basically verify that you are a company and that they are going to be willing to rate your games and by all accounts once like the website basically says that the rating system itself is is basically a, an honor system um that they might vet it like vet the the answers that you've given to your questions at a later date but it's basically yeah they're, they're cool with that once you get through so, I mean, maybe that's why they want a letter. Maybe it's just to weed out the, like, absolute kind of... Well, people that basically have no intention of ever releasing a game or something. Like, I could imagine people on certain uh, web forums being an ESRB-registered developer or publisher or whatever would be some kind of badge of merit or... I don't know. It would be a weird thing, but I could totally see people doing that so maybe it's the idea of sending uh, like a, a letter an actual letter is in order to kind of weed out those people and prove that you have at least some kind of genuine interest in doing this so that is essentially what i've been doing i mean obviously it's been christmas and <laughs> yes i've been sent spending time with family all of the all of that kind of the usual stuff and developing the game uh, development continues apace there are i think 10 levels left to do now very much approaching the end of the actual content yes um i'm kind of at the point now of i'm really trying to organize getting it in front of a bunch of people and uh, getting them to play and getting some feedback and in particular getting feedback about the levels the sooner that i get all the content finished the sooner i can essentially just move on to polishing stuff um i've been doing a lot of work on the audio stuff with the audio guy because it's basically like there's a lot of proof of concept stuff in there in terms of the dynamic music um that reacts to if you're doing well it gets more excited if you're doing poorly it kind of really drops down um there's a lot of stuff of like because it's loops of music we don't want it to get boring for people so uh, after certain amounts of time the music needs to transition from one loop to another and there's like different ways that the audio stuff works um the yeah there's just a whole bunch of there's basically a whole bunch of proof of concept stuff in the audio that i've been it's kind of a lot of cody stuff and a lot of thinking about how to actually make that work properly and how to make that kind of all mesh with the audio middleware that i'm using in 
Unity. I'm, I'm pretty sure I must have mentioned this before, but I found a, pl a plugin called Master Audio Triple A or Triple A Master Audio or something, and that seemed to. There's a few different ones that people seem to gravitate towards, um, and some of them are like really quite basic in um, implementations. Some of them are massively complicated, and I don't understand. Um, but this seemed to hit a nice sort of spot of being pretty simple to use in basic cases, but it allows you to do some quite powerful stuff in terms of crossfading music and synchronizing tracks and stuff like that. Um, and also having like a lot of control over things, uh, sounds once you've started playing them. So we can do things with like the bullets where you start looping the audio and then um, adjust the volume of that depending on how close a like any bullets are to players and that sort of stuff um because obviously we don't want to have a sound effect attached to every single bullet in the game that would just get like some of them some of the levels have got a lot of bullets in so that would just get mental so there's actually only ever one bullet sound playing and then the game is kind of checking how close the players are to bullets and then adjusting the sound appropriately and doing a bunch of bits and pieces like i say it's it's all kind of proof of concept stuff that is taking up a lot of time but once it's all finished in theory then um a lot of the sound effects like we've we've been work concentrating on the difficult stuff up front because i mean that's how i always approach this sort of stuff is it's like you want to get the the weird cases and the difficult stuff and really work on that and make sure that's working and then you can kind of Blap in like the easy stuff, the simple stuff should just go in. And again, once uh, like once we've got the uh, dynamic music stuff all working properly, it should be should be <laughs> touch wood. My desk's made of wood, so that's fine. Touch wood. It should be really simple, just to essentially drop in all of the extra music tracks once that's all in and working. So yeah, I mean that's basically what I've been doing. So. That is that bit of the podcast. So yeah, like I said, I thought it would have a little kind of going over the the sort of what has happened in the last year. I mean, because it has been, yeah, I, I guess setting up a company and doing all of this sort of stuff and developing games and doing the consulting stuff i mean it seems like a while since i've done all the consulting stuff it really isn't and i'm still i still get emails through about it i'm still for example uh next week i'm still down i'm down at pocket gamer connects in london and talking to some potential clients there and some existing clients there about bits and pieces so that side of stuff is all still going on so i guess yeah it's like i've built up you can often feel like, like looking back on the year, it's like, oh, I'm not really sure that that much has happened. But actually, when I've sort of sat down and kind of listed it, it's like, oh, that's all right. Yeah. So it's like I've built up a small list of clients, but um, a number of them are repeat clients, are people that have been really happy with my work. They've come back. They've And a bunch of them are people that have recommended me on to uh, other people, which has been really, really cool. I mean, that's... I guess with the, the the sort of client work is um, like if you're making a game, you can put it in front of people that can play it. You can see how happy they are. Like doing the client work, it's a it's a little bit more vague than that. You're never entirely sure whether 
people are just like paying your uh, stuff reluctantly or not. Um, and in some cases, people haven't paid. Um, but that I think that's more a case of one particular client who is really just uh, slouching long and not paying. Did I mention... So, the, uh, yeah, so here's another thing. If you're in the UK and you have international clients, another top tip, get them to pay an amount of the money up front. Everyone always seems to be fine with this. I've never had a single client that go, hmm, money up front, that's a bit weird. Everyone seems to be fine with it. But yeah, in the case of where you get a client that is really slouching or refusing, not refusing to pay, but just isn't paying, um, the this client in particular, like fairly regularly, I will get emails back off of him going, oh yeah, don't worry, I'm going to pay it. It's like the money's on its way. Just give me a couple of weeks. And you're just like, mate, if you're not going to pay, just don't pay. But like, I don't know. It's a weird one. Uh, I've completely lost my train of thought there. Yeah, so I've built up a small client list and a bunch of the, like, I have proof that at least a, a bunch of them are happy with the work that I've done because they've recommended me and stuff like that. I've made enough money to to keep the company going, which is good. Yay. I mean, I've had uh, an amount of runway that would that lasted, like, would have lasted over a year anyway. Um, but I've kind of extended that runway. I mean, not massively. <laughs> Don't get me wrong. In the last year, overall... I have lost money. Um, first year in a business, I, it's lost money. But again, I mean, I'm not massively bothered about that. Um, the rule of thumb that I've always heard from people is basically, yeah, if you first, like, you, they would expect the first year of a business to uh, a, a studio or a business not to make any money. Um, one, I, I know of one, one, uh, publisher that uh, doesn't stand by that rule but they will rena uh, remain nameless at the moment uh, so yeah I've kind of uh, lost money not a staggering rate really um, kind of an amount that I'm sort of comfortable with um, I kind of hope that binaries makes some money in the next year well let's put it this way if a uh, binaries doesn't make any money in the next year and I don't manage to get any client work in the first half of next year um there will be an abrupt end to these podcasts and this will be the one and only birthday podcast that will ever happen but i um remain sort of confident that binaries is going to make uh, enough money to kind of drag us along and that'll get some client working because i've yeah People keep saying that they've got stuff going on, and I believe them. So <laughs> let's let's stick with that. Um, I've got some funding as well. Obviously, uh, if you've followed the podcast, you'll know that I, I got some funding through uh, the Cultural Enterprise Office's Staff Six program. Not masses of funding, but it's been good, and uh, I have already spent a bunch of it on. Um, the future trip to EGX Resd, which is going to happen just after the game is launched, or just as the game is launched, that sort of thing. Uh, almost finished the game. Speaking of the game that is going to be launched, almost finished it. Uh, it's about 
It's only well, it's yeah, it's three months off, three months off launch. Well, less than three months off launch at this point, so that's exciting. Um, and obviously, I mean, that's the first thing that I will have. I've been in the games industry for fifteen years, but that will be at the point where that comes out. That will be the first thing that is kind of entirely mine as a thing, and that people are actually paying money for. Um, I've released some flash stuff before, but that's all just been completely free whereas this is a thing where i'm basically saying to people this is worth your cash please pay it. and hopefully they'll agree uh yeah <laughs> i sound very nervous about that don't i i think they'll agree i think a bunch of people will agree so yeah uh almost finished again that's quite exciting and obviously having the whole steam thing lined up is like look this this thing is going to come out it's been greenlit now. It's going to come out. This isn't like it's definitely going to come out, um, no matter what. It's like I'm going to push that through there, no matter what happens with money or what happens with um, console ports or anything like that. The Windows and Mac versions of this game are coming out, and that's pretty exciting and something that I'm really happy with. I've. Uh, Done talks at a few places. Uh, Edinburgh Game Symposium. I did a talk at uh, Play Hubs down in London, and some other stuff. Where Glasgow Caledonian University. That was one. Um, I'm not sure whether I've talked anywhere else. Maybe if I did, it slipped my mind now. But this that was always kind of one of the things with going independent. I kind of. I want to get more used to speaking, more used to public speaking, more used to just generally talking to people about what I'm doing and sort of that whole information sharing and ideas sharing. Um, and I guess in the same vein, I've released 24 episodes of this podcast, 25 at the point where this episode goes out. But at the, at the moment when I'm speaking, 24 episodes of a podcast, which is something that uh, a year ago I didn't really... I hadn't really thought of it wasn't really an idea but yeah again it's um put some content out there yay me uh i mean god there are a lot of podcasts everyone's got a podcast these days um and in particular there are probably some slightly uh better games podcasts i listened to the games factory podcast with uh moo and uh bithel mike bithel always name drop bithel in your podcast because um, he, he certainly searches Twitter and Google for his name. I don't know whether he's managed to set up anything that listens to the audio of all podcasts for his name being mentioned, but it, I really wouldn't put it past him. So mention Bithel, just in case he listens, and um, Andrew from Spilt Milk. Uh, so yeah, the Games Factory podcast, that's, uh, I find that a, an incredibly interesting podcast because those three guys all have very different experiences with what it is to be an indie and what it means to be an indie and um the contrast between and literally the contrast between listening to Bithel and the other two guys talking because he, like he's got like the world is his oyster essentially like he's um got uh, a lot of respect from a lot of people and people pay a lot of attention to him sony pays a lot of attention to him it seems like and yeah it's it's really interesting and 
don't get me wrong, like I don't um that's not a bad thing at all. He's completely earned it and he's it's not like he's some kind of flash in the pan guy. Like he's made a bunch of games in his career before he went indie and then had uh, Thomas and then Volume and people are really happy with them and they're doing well for him and he's making a lot of money out of them and it's all very well deserved. But it is interesting that the flip side of that is the other guys who have also released good quality games um, don't seem to have quite had the success. And I think, like, and not even just the financial success and sales success, but the success in terms of people kind of responding to them and that kind of thing. Um, but yeah, so Games Factory Podcast. Wait, how am I just spending, how, like, how have I just spent the last few minutes just advertising someone else's podcast? Ah. I, yeah, I'm not good at podcasts. Anyway, uh, yeah, so like I talked to a few places, I've done a bunch of podcasts, and I've met like a lot of people. Like, there's people that now I would consider pretty good friends, to be honest, um, that I didn't know a year ago, and I only know them through the fact that I am an indie and that we've collaborated on stuff or that these opportunities have come up that wouldn't have come up if I wasn't an indie developer. Um, and it's really cool. Like that's that's the stuff. That's the kind of the community stuff, the helping people out, the chatting to people. That's the stuff that like I I really above all else about being an indie. That's the stuff that I love. Like there's obviously being the freedom of your own boss is exciting, but at the same time there's like it's <laughs> terrifying that side of stuff. But the the sort of community and the chatting to people and all of that side of stuff. There is no downside of that. There's no scary side of that. That is just solid indie gold. But then I guess forward on from that, I thought I would have just like a, a sort of quick mention of things that I think I would, like I wish I'd done differently right from the start. Like if I could go back to me a year ago and say, dude, change these things these are the things that would change uh, one the legal structure so as i mentioned uh several times i'm currently a sole trader Um i did that because the paperwork of being a company and the uh, obligations of payroll and all of that sort of stuff seemed really scary to me at the time i was an idiot Um i really from the off should have like i wish i'd just gone straight into the limited company thing um and just battle through the paperwork and got that set up because the problem now is i'm going to have to set all of that stuff up anyway but also i'm going to have to transition from being a sole trader to being um a limited company like working as a limited company and that means just stuff like my uh, tax bits and pieces and yeah there's just things and stuff that just seem like it's going to be a pain in the bum to have to go through like my accounting software um changing that and blah, yeah not keen so i yeah i think i like i wish i'd have just started out as just biting the bullet really and doing the limited company thing because it's not like the bits of it that i've done so far it's not hard it's not complicated you could just get an accountant to do like a really quick check over sanity check right at the start to make sure that you've set it all up right and that you're heading in the right direction and then just carry on from there. Right, I'm having a real panic now because my uh, garage band that I record this on on my Mac has just popped up a thing and said, ah, there's 
been some problem we've not been able to record some of the stuff that you just said um going back on the thing it kind of looks like it has actually recorded it but then there aren't any like i can listen to it but there aren't any uh waves for it so i'm quite scared that i have lost a whole load of podcast right now um half an hour's worth of podcast and that wouldn't be good uh so hopefully i haven't lost it and it is still there but let's carry on. Let's just crack on, shall we, and pretend that it is there. And if it isn't there, um, just a little more to myself. We got up to the second thing that I wish I'd done differently, which is uh, I wish I'd had a more efficient use of my time. Um, there was a, there's been a whole bunch of stuff during the year when I've had downtime between uh, client work and I really could have been cracking on with Teal and Orangey uh what was Taylor and Orangey? Oh, what a slip! What was Taylor and Orangey and is now binaries? Um, I messed around with the squid basketball thing that, like, really I shouldn't have bothered with at the time. Like, it's cool, it's still on the back burner. I still like the idea of it, but I just don't feel like the like I feel like that time that I spent on that would have been better spent on binaries and improving that. And like, there's basically there's loads of hours here and there scattered throughout the past year that if i'd spent those hours working on binaries levels um i would be i like i would have been content complete at the end of last year easily i reckon and that's that's kind of a little bit grating it's like uh but i th i think i recognize that it's actually just kind of a part of who i am and the sort of person that i am really i'm not very good at like i respond well to deadlines um like i respond well to the urgency of an imminent deadline i don't respond so well with i oh, like this game's it's you've got six months to make this game you've got an age just chill out and do what you want with it um i really really need to kind of get more in the habit of um setting myself more urgent deadlines and stuff and timekeeping better with that um i think like when I'm doing client work, I use a thing called Toggle. When I'm doing my own stuff on binaries, I've not used that at all. And I'm sure I've mentioned this before that it's like, even saying this right now, I know that I should start using it for binary stuff, but I don't. And I know that I won't. Um, but maybe it's for a future project I will. And that would be uh, a better idea. And the final thing that I wish I'd done a lot differently is... Well, I'm not sure whether I wish I'd done this differently. I think it would probably be a good idea to have actually not just set up Ant Workshop as one company. I think it would probably be a better idea to have two companies. Um, and that would be a, a company for the uh, consulting work that I do, like the sort of business-to-business -business work, and then a company for the game development stuff. Because I find it really tricky having the identity like the identity of the company i think is really kind of mixed and kind of weird um at conferences like you put down like oh i'm a i'm a developer because i am an indie developer but also i'm there sort of pitching for helping um people out with their games um and that consulting side of stuff and it's all i find it quite muddy and a little bit messy um and even just down to things like social media it's like Facebook posts, if I was posting as just a company that does um, consultations, sort of specialising in free-to-play and mobile and that kind of thing, 
there's content I'd post on the Facebook page that is like just would just be so dry and would just totally turn off people that uh, would be there for wanting to find out about my game and that kind of stuff. Um, so yeah, like in retrospect, and even saying it now, it's like, it, oh my god, it would just be so much work to do. Twice, like it's essentially you're, you're running. And it's not even the company side of it. It's that you'd be running twice the amount of sort of social accounts and that kind of stuff um, and twice the number of websites to make and all kinds of things like that. And that just seems like an absolute nightmare. But um, I think overall it would probably be be a bit clearer, like whether you're acting as one company or the other. Um, yeah, and I think maybe that will be better. So those are the thing, three things that I wish I'd done differently. So let's wrap up with uh, the listener questions. Yay, listener questions. So the first listener question was um, something stupid about wanting to be an astronaut um, from Jack Kingspooner. Uh, but then he asked, how do I feel about games jams? And um, that's kind of, yeah, I've... I've feel very uh, mixed about games jams to be honest very conflicted about them i'm not sure whether i've mentioned this before i have a feeling that i've mentioned it before but i'm not sure whether i've mentioned it on the podcast or just somewhere else or something um i think the th like i like the idea of games jams i like all these people that don't usually work together kind of getting together and riffing off of stuff for like a, a short time period and like I like the sort of enforced creativity that like you get out of that of like the sort of um limited time like really kind of makes people think of what's important for their game and that sort of thing. And the stuff that I really hate about games jams is that I I sort of get this vibe that they sort of enforce the uh crunchiness of the games industry. Like the games industry is this real thing of um people just uh lionizing the like the lionizing is that a word idolizing the like the kind of working late is kind of looked on as like yeah i'm, I'm working late like and i know i even do this myself like i posted on twitter like i was working at uh, half past midnight on christmas morning literally because i'd had an idea for a thing on christmas eve and then everyone had gone to bed um and I thought, well, I'll just really quickly kind of bash this out and see if I can, like, I'll spend half an hour just working on it. Um, and that was at, like, 10 o'clock or something. And then it was, like, I realised it was, like, half past midnight. And it's like, oh, my God, I'm working on my game uh, on Christmas, like, uh, gone midnight on Christmas Day. This is ridiculous. Um, and I posted that on Twitter. And then afterwards I kind of felt like, but am I... Will other people read that and think that I'm basically like Boston, like, oh, hell yeah, I'm working on all of this stuff. Um, and that's because that, I have a difficulty with that, that people people shouldn't work stupid hours. He says, and it is literally 20 past 11 at night, and I'm recording a podcast because it, it's late at night and every, it, the house is quiet, and I know that I'm then going to have to edit this podcast and upload it and sort all of that sort of stuff out. And it'll be gone midnight by the time I'm in bed tonight. And it's... Maybe it's I just... I just don't think people should be working so late and should be working such stupid hours, really. But at the same time, I do it. And then it, and there's this whole thing of, like, people that run companies. Like, you always hear people 
going on about like, oh yeah, well I work all these stupid hours, and they're boasting about it, and they're like, they think that it makes them look hardworking and good and stuff like that. It's like I'm not, I'm not sure that that is the case. I'm not really sure you should be boasting about these things. You should probably be looking at it and going, this is really bad that I'm working this late into the night, and how can I solve that? problem and like as a entrepreneur as a business owner how can i solve this problem um and i kind of get the feeling that games jams feed into that thing of like oh hell yeah we're up late night drinking red bull and almost killing ourselves for video games mate like it's pfft, what you're doing you shouldn't uh yeah so i feel conflicted about games jams um someone asked what is a game? Does anyone? What even is a game? Does anyone know? Um, and I don't know. What I love about games is that, like, it's such a broad spectrum, and it feels like at the moment the spectrum is getting broader. Like people are trying weird stuff and trying new stuff, and maybe they were always trying this stuff, but it feels like trying this stuff is getting pressed now, and like. There's actually like a, a good visibility to these kind of things, and it, there's like you look at if you look at like the, the sort of IGF nominations and stuff that have just come out this past week. It's um, there's a massive broad spectrum of stuff there, and it's really cool, um, and I'm loving it. So that is that is what a game is. And to answer your second question of does anyone really know? Yes, I really know. And that is evidenced by that I have answered the previous question. And the final question that I got was, uh, I think p possibly there was no expectation that I would answer this, but was how long to break even? Um, and it was kind of interesting, actually, because I've not done that calculation in quite a while. Certainly, uh, the last time I did it was when I was pitching binaries to some publishers. Uh, so I thought I would quickly go back and do some more sums on it. So it's basically you take the amount that I think I'm going to sell it for, and I have a figure in mind of roughly $10, which is about £7. Um, take away Valve's cut of that, or the platform holder's cut. Um, take away I've got some revenue share deals for some of my contributors, so kind of take their shares out of it. Um, and it can work out how much money I'm getting per sale if it doesn't, like, if I sell it at um, its kind of standard price point. Um, and then working out roughly how much it's cost me. I know how much I cost per, like, how much I cost myself per month given a rough, I'm going to say six months working on the game because... Although I've been developing it for longer than that, it hasn't been full time. I've been working on other stuff and client stuff. So I, I estimate that binaries is about like at the point when it comes out, it will be about six months of me full time. And um, there are other people that have worked on it. So kind of taking all those costs in um, equipment, uh, licensing, uh, marketing, stuff like that. So And basically you end up with, uh, a sum there of how much the game, how much I think the game is going to cost, um, and I didn't take out the so the some of the funding that I got I've, as I've mentioned in the past is specifically for marketing and stuff like that, 
Um, I, I've not subtracted that, so the numbers are a little bit out. I thought basically if I if I make the numbers a little bit out in both directions, then that's then maybe it's cancel each other out. But so an estimate of if I estimate that the game sells a hundred copies a day, and again it's like it's not going to sell a hundred copies a day every single day. But if it sold a hundred copies a day every single day, it would take me nine months to break even on binaries. Um, if it sold 500 copies, it would take two months. If it sold 1,000 copies a day for less than a month, uh, it would break even. So that's kind of exciting. Um, I, I don't think I don't think 1,000 copies a day for, for three weeks is likely or viable. But who knows? Maybe it will. Um, maybe it's... I doubt. I really doubt it'll do that on the just the Steam versions. Perhaps at the point where the console versions are rolled into the mix as well, then that that will happen. Who knows? So yeah, um, how long to break even? I reckon nine months or possibly even more. Uh, slightly depressing. <laughs> slightly depressing. That I'm gonna have to get some more client work next year, aren't I? Ah well. Who knows? Who knows what the future brings? That's the exciting part of running your own business, right? Is that you don't really know and yeah, we'll mess around, we'll muddle through, I'll hopefully still be here in a year's time to do the uh, episode, what, episode 50 or something of this podcast when we're two years old. Uh, hopefully you have enjoyed the podcasts um, and I will, sorry, you're going to hear some rustling as I have to find the page where I've got all of the stuff. Oh, there we go. Yeah, hopefully you've enjoyed the podcast. This podcast, you found it a little bit interesting. Uh, as always, you can hear it on iTunes and on Stitcher and on SoundCloud and on TuneIn. You can get in touch with me at Freakazoid or at Ant Workshop on Twitter. Uh, you can email podcast at ant-workshop.com. Say stuff. Please say stuff. And if you do like the podcast, let other people know, right? If you've got to this point and you go, I do like this podcast, tell one other person that you think might be interested in the podcast. Because if you don't, then literally the number of listeners to the podcast is never going to go up. Um, but if everyone that listens to the podcast tells someone else and then they all pay a pound and then everyone that they get to listen to the podcast pays £2, and all that money eventually comes back to me, um, I will have invented a new Ponzi scheme, and I will make out like a bandit. Uh, and it won't matter that Binaries is going to take nine months to break even. No, this their podcast will always be free. Don't worry about that. Definitely will always be free. Um, but yeah, and like, like it on iTunes and on stitcher and stuff what else does uh, soundcloud tune in like it on things vote for it on things review it on things star it on things retweet it on things tell people please tell people um the the only thing that will kill this podcast is if literally nobody listens to it anymore if i ever get to an episode where nobody listens to it then i i will definitely stop doing it if i get to an episode where less than 10 people listen to it i might still stop doing it so please just tell people and right i'm gonna go anywhere because like i said it's late and i've got to edit this and there's a good chance that a 
massive chunk of it has been swallowed whole by GarageBand. And I will be really annoyed if that happens. Bye-bye.